that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on The Basement Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Logan Blackman, and I'm sorry if you can hear some noises going on in the background. Right now, the air conditioning just kicked on, and also, it is pouring rain outside. So, yeah, you're probably going to hear some sort of noises. If you can't, then you don't. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you can, you're sitting there like, oh, what's that? It's like, like this weird noise going on in the background of Logan's sound system, his high-quality sound system. Don't fret, it is just rain. And right now in Urbandale, like, we talked about this on the weekend, or on, uh, well, Wednesday, I guess, because we did have a show on Friday. And let me explain what happened on Friday real quick before we go over what I was just about to talk about. Friday, we're recording the show, we're about 15 minutes in, and then it just stops recording. So I do it again. Exact same thing happens. Stops recording just about 15 minutes into the show. And it won't let me export it. So I can't just keep going 15 minutes at a time. It wouldn't, it just didn't work. So I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing this. And I just basically was fed up with how the thing was going. So I just left and I didn't record a show on Friday, which sucks because I hate not recording a show. And it's been a while since we've missed a day i think the last time we missed a show is when i was up in cedar falls moving into my new place that i think is the last show we've missed if i'm being honest i mean think we missed monday and wednesday of that week and then we've been on a tear and a historic tear of not missing shows but sadly all good things must come to an end and friday we missed a show and we didn't really have a in my opinion, now I'm going to be overly judgmental of myself than other people. I didn't think Friday's show was going to turn out that good anyways. So, I, in a way, I'm actually happy that the show didn't end up getting recorded or didn't end up, the recording didn't end up working because I don't feel the show would have been as good as if it was a normal day. I don't know why I was struggling for ideas on Friday, but that was the first time in a while that I've actually struggled for ideas, and it was very frustrating to sit there and go, wow, this is very annoying. And then a couple that on the fact that the recording's not working just makes for a very, very frustrating uh, Friday edition of the Logan Blackman show. But on Wednesday, we talked about on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and today, enjoy Wednesday and Thursday because it's going to rain those four days. It's going to pour down rain those four days. It didn't rain a drop. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, at least that I saw. Maybe it rained at night, but I didn't see any rain. And it is just all unleashing right now. (laughs) It is pouring outside right now. If you go on the weather app on your phone, it always just shows you the weather and stuff, like, oh, what's going on right now? My phone is lighting up, like, white because of the lightning on the screen. I can barely read it because it lights. Like, I'm right in the middle of reading something, and then a big flash just pops up on the screen. I can't remember what I was saying. But right now in Urbandale, 68 degrees, thunderstorms going on right now. It's going to rain for the next two, three hours. Hopefully, that's not true. Hopefully, it ends a little bit later. I know some weirdos out there like rain. I like rain at night. I don't like rain when I have to go outside. One of my pet peeves, this is like a little weird thing, Logan Blackman weird fact of the day. Logan does not like getting wet if he's not trying to get wet, if that makes any sense. It's like, I'll shower, I'll jump in a pool, but if I'm dry, I'm not really liking to get wet. I don't like rain, 
I don't like playing football. I never liked playing sports in the rain. Those I those people always weirded me out because you're like, oh, you get all dirty. We played on turf, so we we're just getting covered in black pellets all day. It wasn't very fun. I have never, uh, jeez, I've never liked getting wet. My hair's really absorbent as well, so every time my hair gets wet, it takes me forever to dry it. They always tell me that when I go get my hair cut. They, oh my God, Logan, your hair, it's so absorbent and luxurious and all that stuff. I don't know why I said luxurious like that. Luxurious. This sounded weird. But I hate getting wet. So I hate the rain during the day. I'm cool with it at night. As I said, like if I'm sleeping, I'm cool with it. But during the day, nah, not for me. Not for me. And right now, according to my phone, <laughs> there is a 20% chance of rain. It is thunderstorming right now. The phone is literally has has raindrops coming down on it on the screen with lightning striking every five seconds. And there's a 20% chance of rain if you scroll down the list a little bit farther. Feels like 68 degrees, so it feels like what it is outside. What it is. And the air quality is good, so you know that's always fantastic. But yeah, we're here on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, June 22nd. 2020 in a torrential downpour we are here in life because it's the beauty of the logan blackman show we do this in a basement so even if there's a tornado warning we are in a basement already recording a podcast so we could just we don't even need to worry about it. we don't need to go take shelter because we already are in shelter in the basement which is where all the sick uh meteorology people tell you to go when there is a tornado outside so yeah, we're safe. We're going to be recording the show, and I'm sorry again if there's any like little rustlings in the background because that's just rain. It's raining pretty hard right now. So yeah, hopefully it doesn't distract you from the fact that this show is going to be a good one today. And Logan, you say every show is going to be a good one. Why wouldn't your show be good? Why are you? Why would you ever say your show is going to be bad? Well, that's a good point. But I believe this show is going to be a very, very fun one today. So, we're obviously not doing Friday Funday today. Even though we missed a Friday, we're just going to save Friday Funday for Friday. Okay? So, we're not going to be making a tier list today. Just count off last Friday. Just skip last Friday. It don't, it don't matter. So, we'll make a tier list on Friday. This Friday as well. We also got the return of Top 5 Dumbest. Haven't decided what team we're going to do yet. I'm leaning towards the Buffalo Bills. Because I think that'd just be fun to do. So, we, so far in that series, we have done the Cleveland Browns, the New York Jets, and the Chicago Bears. Now, if I've missed anything in top five dumbest, then let me know. But I think these lists are pretty well are pretty pretty well organized, I guess. I talked to one of my friends on Sunday, or no, Saturday, who is a lifelong Bears fan and went over the top five dumbest things that the Bears have done. He pretty much agreed with it. I mean, there's probably more dumb things the Chicago Bears have done because it's a very... It's a very quarterback needy franchise, and there's probably more quarterback things we could have touched on, but majority of the list was quarterback based anyways. But Friday, if it's the Bills, that'll be a very interesting one. Uh other teams that could be in the running for this, the LA Chargers could be in the list for it. Um the New Orleans Saints, until recently, they have been one of the worst franchises in the NFL. Before the Drew Brees era. That is a very dark period in New Orleans Saints football. Uh, Archie Manning getting destroyed game in and game out 
for the New Orleans Saints. A winner on a losing franchise is what Archie Manning was called. They just had some really, really bad teams on the New Orleans Saints. You also got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers until the 21st century. They were a garbage franchise as well. They're one of the worst, if not the worst, expansion franchise in the history of sports. They had a run of losing games that made them the laughingstock league, not to help the fact that their uniforms were not the greatest of all time either. The cream signal uniforms, the winking pirate, not really signifying the toughness, the, t- the toughness, the toughest franchise in the NFL. You also got the likes of the Texans who started off very bad in their early heyday and all the quarterbacks they've gone through throughout their history, ruining basically the careers of two amazing wide receivers, Andre Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins. Not ruining because they're very talented and talent will exceed the losing if they're a wide receiver, but they just made their quarterbacks look semi-decent for a little bit. But those two, man, the Lions are another one. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, two of the greatest players in NFL history, retired in their primes because they're just tired of playing for the Lions. So we got a lot of teams in the NFL that can be brought to this. And I know you don't like, a lot of people don't know this, but the New England Patriots sucked balls up until the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era. They had that one good year in 85 with Easton getting them to the Super Bowl. And then they had the year in the 90s when the Patriots lost the Green Bay Packers with Drew Bledsoe as the starting quarterback. But other than that, it was a lost century for the New England Patriots or the Boston Patriots, whatever you want to call them. So there's a lot of teams we could do for top five dumbest because not every franchise has been great their entire existence. I think the closest one you could say to that is the Pittsburgh Steelers because they've had three coaches in their entire existence, but they've still had some bad ones. The Green Bay Packers, Titletown, had some terrible years before Brett Favre. The in-between Brett Favre and Bart Starr years were terrible for the Green Bay Packers. Look at the quarterbacks they had. I'm not going to go out and list them. Just go and look at the quarterbacks they've had. The 49ers, they struggled after the Steve Young era for a while until Jim Harbaugh showed up. And then they started to turn things around a little bit. And then they went bad again, and then now they've got back to a Super Bowl. So every franchise could probably will at one point or another be listed on top five dumbest. Okay? So nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. I'm just here for that. Every other week, every other Friday, we reveal our top five dumbest list. And I hope you all enjoy it. But we got nothing for Friday today, so no Friday fun day today because it's Monday. And no top five dumbest. But this past week and what we were going to go over on Friday, which we will touch on today, is a lot, basically all of the soccer leagues, all the big leagues throughout the world in the world of soccer are back. We had the Premier League back, Serie A came back, and we have La Liga and Bundesliga scores to go over and a possible tilt in the title race for one of these leagues talk about that one in a little bit but let's go over the premier league first so of course we obviously talked about the games on wednesday with aston villa versus sheffield united manchester city versus arsenal i don't know if the manchester city arsenal game is over by the time our show is over but let's just go over it anyways man city beat arsenal 3-0 david Luiz basically scoring the first goal giving basically assisting the first goal basically assisting both goals getting a red card (laughs) he subbed in uh basically assisted the first goal and then 
gave away a penalty, and then got a red card. Beautiful performance from David Luiz, and Manchester City took full advantage of that game. 3-0 was the final score there. Moving on to Friday, Southampton beat Norwich 3-0, and Tottenham and Manchester United drew 1-1. The first time we have seen Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes play together at Manchester United, and as soon as Paul Pogba came on, Manchester United squirted back to life. They looked like themselves. Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes are a beautiful partnership. And they already assisted each other on one of their goals. Even though it won't technically get called an assist. Paul Pogba got tagged on the box by Eric Dyer. And Bruno Fernandes sliced the penalty home. Going to the bottom left corner. Keeper dove the wrong way. And it was just... Great. Manchester United and Tottenham ended up drawing 1-1 in that game. Steven Bergvine scored the first goal of the game, making Manchester United look like preschoolers, essentially. Look like non-leaguers. Harry Maguire got turned in and out. Luke Shaw was nowhere to be found. Lindelof was very spread out from Maguire, putting Maguire basically on an island who's not, who doesn't have the speed or makeup ability to catch Bergvine once he got past him. And David De Gea, with some weak wrists, cannot parry the shot away and it basically just goes off his hands and in the net but after that defense David De Gea started to turn it up a little bit and yeah didn't concede a goal after that and then let's go over the Southampton versus Norwich game 3-0 Norwich pretty much guaranteed to go down in the Premier League nice little 3-0 victory for Southampton Danny Ings getting the first goal of the game with Stuart Armstrong and Nathan Redmond following up in that Danny Ings was named player of the game, got a goal and an assist in the game, according to whoscored.com, got a 9.6 player rating. Second in the game was Nathan Redwin, the 9.1, and Stuart Armstrong and James Ward-Prowse both got an 8.5 in the game. Just an overall dominating performance from Southampton and Ralph Hassenhutl getting a nice little win for Southampton. That puts Norwich on 21 points, five points behind Aston Villa. Aston Villa, though five points off of Norwich, have lost five of their last six games. So it's not great. Premier League returned. They drew with Sheffield United. And then they proceeded to lose, give up a lead to Chelsea on Sunday. But we'll get that one in a little bit. On Saturday, Leicester City and Watford drew 1-1. Brighton beat Arsenal 2-1 with Burn Leno going out with an injury. And... Looks like a serious injury. I haven't heard any more updates on Burned Leno's injury, but Arsenal, who have had a very rough season to this point, their season just got a lot rougher. Wolverhampton Wanderers beat West Ham 2-0. Uh, Adama Traore comes into the game as a substitute and basically turns the game around for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Beautiful cross to Raul Jimenez, who heads it home. And then Doherty... Off a nice little move by Adama Traore. Gets the ball down the right wing. Sends the ball into the box. And Raul Neto smashes it home. Like, on the volley. Left-footed strike. No goalkeeper in the world is saving that. I don't care who you put in front of it. Allison, Yano Black, anybody. No one is touching that goal. And Fabianski just had to stand there and watch it as he just smashed the ball. Wolverhampton, 2-0 victors over West Ham who are closer to the drop. And then Crystal Palace beat Bournemouth 2-0. Out of all the teams in the bottom part of the league that are battling for relegation spots, not battling for, but battling to stay up, three of them 
I'm not including Norwich in this one because they're pretty much guaranteed to go down. Three of them lost. Watford was the only one that secured a draw in that game. And that's why we said Watford would stay up in the league because Nigel Pearson orchestrated the great escape with Leicester City the season before they won the title. He's their manager, and I don't think Watford have a lot to worry about. Now, I'm knock on wood, but <laughs> it really looked like it. As far as Aston Villa, Bournemouth, West Ham are concerned, I think Aston Villa, out of those teams, has the best chance of staying up. Even though we said they would finish in that 19th spot, I think they have the best chance of staying up because they've actually got a player that looks like he cares in Jack Grealish for Aston Villa. As far as Bournemouth and West Ham, there's not one player that you can signal as the the hero of the team, the team that's going to lead them out of this. I can't see it, to be honest. I like Bournemouth. I like West Ham. Uh, Stuart Waite, one of my good friends from high school, is an Aston Villa fan. I have no problems with any of these teams. I really like Jack Grealish. And part of me is thinking Aston Villa is going to stay up. Even though, that being said, they have lost five of their last six games. And they just lost to Chelsea after blowing a 1-0 lead. Christian Pulisic, Captain America, comes into the game. Gets the first goal for Chelsea. And basically just seals their way to victory. Didn't get the second goal though, sadly. But he did get the first goal. So that's all that really matters. Olivier Giroud, shortly after Pulisic's goal, got the goal to give them the win in this game. By them, I mean Chelsea. 2-1 victors. Uh, House got a nice little goal in the 43rd minute, just before halftime, to put him up 1-0. But Chelsea just showed their quality in the second half. Got the 2-1 victory. Sad for Aston Villa. And then, also on Sunday, we had Newcastle United beating Sheffield United 3-0. Absolute demolition to Sheffield United, who had been on a very nice run of form as of late, and then gets absolutely blasted by Newcastle United. You know you get blasted when Joel Linton scores a goal for you. Joel Linton has not been that, that great of a signing for Newcastle United this season, and he got a goal in this game, which shows how dominant Newcastle United were in this game. And then the big game of the week in the Merseyside Derby, Everton versus Liverpool, a very plain nil-nil draw. Liverpool were very, I guess, not very, but experimental with their lineup a little bit. Nabi Keita got a start. Uh, Minimino got a start. The Japanese international. Milner got a start at left back. Joel Matip got a start. Mozella didn't even come in the game. It was just a very boring game, <laughs> just to say the least. Uh, nothing happened in this game. There were three yellow, four yellow cards in this game. That's about all the action we got in this game. A lot of people are expecting Liverpool to run ramp in this game. Everton have not won a Merseyside Derby in a fat minute. I can't even remember the last time they've won one. It's been a very long time. I need to Google it. But if you're listening now, go and Google it. Cause it's been a, it's been a very very long time. I think it's been like eight years or something. And they played two games a year. They haven't won in 18 years. I think they were 0-16 in the last 16 or something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. But it's been a very long time since they won the league. So Or won a, not the league, but well, it's even been a longer time since they won a league. But Merseyside Derby. So here is the league standings right now in the Premier League. Liverpool remain on top with 83 points. Second draw of the season. 
out of 30 games. 27 wins, two draws, one loss for them on the season. Manchester City keep their second place spot and expand the lead a little bit with the win over Arsenal with getting them up to 60 points on the season. Leicester, with their draw, are now six points behind Manchester City with Chelsea three points behind Leicester and Manchester United on 46 points sitting in fifth. Wolverhampton Wanderers sitting sixth right behind Manchester United, but on goal difference, Manchester United remains in sixth. Sheffield United with that loss drop to seventh in the league. Tottenham are eighth with 42 tied with Crystal Palace, but Tottenham's goal difference puts them above Crystal Palace. Arsenal sit 10th on 40 points, and no one cares about the, the middle of that. And now we go to the relegation zone. Norwich in last with 21. Aston Villa in t- 19th with 26. Bournemouth and West Ham 18th and 17th with 27. West Ham a better goal differential. And then Watford in 16th with 28 points. The relegation battle is getting intense because we've already marked off that Liverpool have won the league. No celebration required for that because everybody knows it's going to happen. Relegation battle, that's what I'm watching. The relegation battle of the Premier League. Will Aston Villa go down? Will West Ham, Bournemouth, Watford go down? Who will join Norwich at the bottom of the league? We'll find out shortly. But the Serie A was back this weekend as well. We had four games this past week when Torino versus uh, Parma. 1-1 was the final score there. And Verona versus Cagliari, 2-1. Verona come out victors there. Moving on to Sunday, Atalanta beats Sosuelo 4-1 in Inter Milan with goals from Romelu Lukaku and Lerato Martinez. 2-1 victors over Sampdoria on Sunday. Two teams battling for Champions League spots. Inter have a nice little six-point lead on Atalanta in third place. Atalanta in fourth, which is the final Champions League spot in Serie A, are six points above, or no, yeah, six points above Roma, who sit in fifth, and Napoli are sixth with 39 points on the season i cannot wait for juventus and lazio to kick off because right now the points difference between these two teams is one lazio have won five of their last six drawing that one and juventus have won four of their last six but losing those two and have a one point lead on lazio lazio though have a better goal difference this year and have scored 10 more goals they also have two they have also have one less loss on the season than juventus and Lazio will be back in action on Wednesday. They will be taking on Atalanta. And Juventus will be back in action today against Bologna. And also in action today, we got Fiorentina versus Brescia and Lecce versus AC Milan. Tuesday, Spal versus Cagliari, Verona versus Napoli, Torino versus Udinese, and Genoa versus Parma. Going on the Wednesday, as we said, with Lazio playing Atalanta, Inter playing Sosuelo, and Roma are playing Sampdoria with AC Milan. I don't know why I said AC Milan. I meant Juventus taking action again on Friday against Lecce. But we'll talk about those games coming up more on Wednesday. But that battle for the top spot in Serie A is going to be intense. Can Lazio end Juventus' stranglehold on Serie A? Chiro Mobile is doing his best. 27 goals this season. 45% of his team's goals have come from Chirilo Mobley. 27 goals scored out of the 60 they've had this year. His 45% goal contribution is the most in Serie A. Three goals off of being 50% of their goals this season. But then also you'd have to take three goals off the season total. and Because if he scores three, it's still going to be around that. And that yeah. 
and it's not gonna change anytime soon but he has been amazing for Lazio these past few seasons and let's see if they can actually beat Juventus to the Serie A title and speaking of title races we have one heating up again in La Liga with Barcelona dropping points this past weekend drawing Sevilla nil-nil on Friday that saw Real Madrid who eventually won two to one on Sunday against Real Sociedad take the top spot in the league crazy now I'm not 100% sure how La Liga does their top spot because if you're going off goal difference Barcelona have a better goal difference but currently sit second in the league according to whoscored.com so I'm going to need to do more research on how they do tiebreakers in La Liga because if you look at it goals forced Barcelona has more goal difference Barcelona's is higher they have more wins so I need to do more research on how they do ties in that but center back for Barcelona Gerard Pique has come out and said he thinks the title race is over he doesn't see Real Madrid slipping up at any point throughout the rest of the season Barca they needed that win against Sevilla and they drew nil nil on Friday also on Friday we had Granada and Villarreal Villarreal the yellow submarine coming out one nil victors there and Mallorca versus Leganes 1-1 was the final score there Saturday Levante versus Espanyol Levante won 3-1 Alec Bilbao beat Real Betis 1-0 uh, Ibar and Getafe drew 1-1 in Atletico Madrid, Real Valladolid, 1-0 in that game. And then moving on to Sunday, Celta Vigo, in arguably the surprise of the weekend, just annihilated Deportivo Alves 6-0. Now, I'm not saying surprising because of the fact they beat Deportivo Alves. 6-0, they beat them. 6-0 on the season. They had scored 21 goals prior to this game, or 20, 22 goals, which was at the time. Now I need to check this, which was, I think, the joint least in the league. That has moved their goal difference to a minus seven without allowing a goal this weekend as well, and moving them up to 30 points on the season. Huge for Celta Vigo. Needed this victory it got a massive result out of it as well six nil absolutely crazy six nil then we have valencia versus asuna two nil victors for valencia and then of course real madrid versus real sociedad beating them two to one now la liga title race is heating up and the battle for third is also heating up with sevilla and atletico madrid tied on points with 52 sitting at third and fourth with Getafe in fifth with 48, and Real Sociedad and Villarreal right behind them with 47, with Valencia in eighth with 46 points. At the bottom league, Espanol and Leganes are tied on 24 points on the season. Leganes just jumped Espanol with their draw and Espanol's loss. And you have Mallorca in 18th with 28 points. Mallorca has allowed the most goals in the league this season with 28 but it is Espanol with the league worst goal difference with a minus 23. And we also got some scores from the Bundesliga. Even though the league has decided with Bayern Munich winning their eighth consecutive title, making them basically the North Coast State of the Bundesliga, just dominate North Coast State eight titles in the last nine years for the FCS. That is absolutely insane. And I was to add this little side note, which again, we never do here on the Logan Blackman Show. 
But we went on a quick trip walk on Saturday. Something me and my friends do every once in a while. And I was talking to one of my friends. And I said, I almost want to guarantee this. Because I think it would be funny if it happened. Do I actually believe it? I don't know. But it's more of the fact that I would love this to happen. North Dakota State versus Oregon. Week 1 of this upcoming season. I would love to see North Dakota State be Oregon. Because if you have North Dakota State be Oregon. And you and I beats Iowa in week 1. College game day might be coming to Cedar Falls. North Dakota State and you and I meet up. They're number one and two ranked teams in the nation, both undefeated, big rivalry in FCS. Why not? Why not have College Game Day come here? College Game Day comes to one location, one FCS location, it seems like every year, at least one. Last year was South Dakota State versus uh, North Dakota State. This year, if you and I and North Dakota State beat their top-level FBS opponents week one, which won't be huge to those teams to start of the year because it happened week one. You have the entire season to make up for that loss. It's not like they placed it at week 12 and you lose that game and then your season's screwed. If you lose that first game of the season, those FBS opponents, which are FCS opponents, which are top-level FCS opponents, by the way, it's not like you're losing to Missouri State. That would be a major setback that even if you made it up and were 12-1, and winning your conference championship, all that, People might still question the fact that you are in the comp- you might be in the college football playoff because you lost to one of the worst teams in the FCS. Now they got Bobby Petrino as a head coach, so we'll see how Missouri State does this year. But yeah, that'd be awesome. You and I, North Coast State at the Unidome College Game Day. Whew! That'd be. I'm excited for you and I football. I'm excited for FCS football. Iowa. I'm excited for some FBI. I'm just excited for football. I'm excited for some college football and some NFL whenever that actually kicks off. And if we have fans in the stands, that'll be even better. But back to the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, as we said, winners of the eighth consecutive league. Ever since the restart has come back, they have not lost a game. Right now, they are the best team in the world. Bayern Munich is four goals off of 100 goals on the season. They have a plus 64 goal difference. Plus 64 goal difference. That is absolutely insane. If you look at the Premier League right now, with Liverpool sitting top of the league with 83 points, Liverpool have scored 66 goals on the season. Bayern Munich has scored 64 more goals than they've allowed this season. That is absolutely insane. Bayern Munich are amazing this year they are unstoppable Borussia Dortmund and a lot of people sorry about I was going to go in on a Borussia Dortmund but at the beginning of the season a lot of people were saying that a team like RB Leipzig or Borussia Dortmund could take advantage of this season for Bayern Munich they could go oh this might be the season that Bayern Munich slip up no as of right now on June 22nd 2020 Bayern Munich is the best team in the world Alfonso Davies has been a revelation at left back. David Alaba with his versatility is slotted seamlessly in the center back. Benjamin Pavard's been a beast at right back with Joshua Kimmich, much like uh, David Alaba, who just mentioned, slotted seamlessly in the center midfield with Leon Goretzka, making a great partnership there. Thomas Muller hasn't missed a beat, leads the Bundesliga in assists, and Robert Lewandowski, oh, jeez. Arguably his best season of his career. And you got... Serge Nabry, Kingsley Komen running down the wings. 
and soon to be Leroy Sané, who looks to be heading his way to Bavaria whenever the transfer window opens. Craziness. And with the RB Leipzig, a lot of people with Timo Werner's emergence were expecting him to eventually make his way to Bayern Munich, but he has, in fact, made his way to the blue side of London and going to Chelsea. Chelsea have... They didn't have a transfer window this last season. They got Pulisic because they signed him in January and Kovacic because he was on loan and they had an opportunity to sign him. So those are the only two signings they made. Now, they got Hakim Ziyech from Ajax to play on that right wing or attacking midfield, wherever you want to play him. He'll work there. He was amazing for Ajax on the right wing these past few seasons. And then now Timo Werner. So your front three this year, or next year, because it looks like they're going to lose William or let William and Pedro go. Now you're going to front three next year of Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner, and Christian Pulisic. Whew. Chelsea. Why did you have to sign Pulisic? I hate that Pulisic's on Chelsea. Christian Pulisic is are you, one of my favorite players in the world, obviously, because he's Captain America. But why did he have to go to Chelsea? Come to Manchester United, Christian. You went to Manchester United games when you were little. Why did you come to Manchester United? It's so sad. Sad seeing him tear it up for Chelsea. I hate seeing him score goals for Chelsea because I get happy that he's scoring goals for his club team, but then I look at the uniforms where it says Chelsea on it. Makes me a little upset. Chelsea is going to be... If they figure out their goal-keeping situation, a left-back situation, get Ben Chilwell, Andre Onana at goal... They might win the league. Now, their defense, their center-back partnerships are a little shaky at times. Need to nail down an exact partnership there. But, man, their attack and midfield are looking very nice for next year. But that's beside the point. RB Leipzig with Tino Werner right now are sitting third in the league with 63 points, with Borussia Dortmund sitting second on 69. And those two teams just happen to play each other. This past Saturday with Borussia Dortmund coming out 2-0 victors over RB Leipzig with, quote, the American dream, Gio Reyna, for Borussia Dortmund, getting assist of Erling Holland. Erling Holland, one of the hottest properties in Europe this season, scored 20, what, 29 goals now, including this weekend, throughout all competitions this season at RB Salzburg, Borussia Dortmund, the Champions League. He's just scoring for fun. And he got an assist from Gio Reyna, who he calls the American Dream. And looking at Gio Reyna, I saw this on Instagram. No, it was on Twitter. It was Gio Reyna and Tyler Adams, two people that make American fans extremely excited for the future. Gio Reyna is massive compared to Tyler Adams. I did not realize Gio Reyna was as big as he is. <laughs> now, with Gio Reyna's emergence, you would fully expect him to be starting for the United States come the 2022 World Cup. Would that push Christian Pulisic to the wing where he's more naturally fit? Or will Gray Beerhalter move Reina, Reina, uh, Reina to the wing? Because he has played right wing in his time at Borussia Dortmund. And keep Pulisic at the center of the field. Only time will tell. But the U.S., the future is looking pretty bright. I'm not going to lie. Because you got players like Tyler Adams... Gio Reyna, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, Serginho Dest, who looks like he might be going to Barcelona. The future's looking good for the U.S. 
Not gonna lie. It's it's concerning at times watching it, but I'm excited for the, what the future will. John Brooks, hopefully he's healthy because he's the best center back the U.S. has. If he's healthy, I'm a lot more confident. Zach Steppen's entrenched himself as the number one goalkeeper. Josie Altador's still there with Josh Sargent right there as well. Jordan Morris has proved to be a really good winger in the MLS. The U.S., I'm excited for the 2022 World Cup. If Now, if they make it. Because I thought they were guaranteed to make it for the 2018 World Cup. And they screwed around and lost to Trinidad and Tobago. And we had to watch Panama get ass blasted in the World Cup. Which was hard to do. But I think the the direction this team is taking with the development of these players over in Europe, especially in the Bundesliga, like Adams, Sargent, Reyna, Weston McKinney, Pulisic before he left for Chelsea, Zach Steffens in the Bundesliga, John Brooks in the Bundesliga, Sergio Destin, one of the best youth academies in the world at Ajax. Like, you look at where these players came from. RB Leipzig, Bruce Dortmund, and Ajax. Three of the best academies in the world. Three of the best, if not the three best in the world. It's insane how they develop players. It's absolutely crazy to watch. But I am very excited for the U.S. Now, Holland, I know you've played two games for Norway. I don't know if you have a, a passport for the U.S., but if you want to be, if you want to come to the U.S. and start striker, you know what will take you. Because that's not the first time we've made people just completely change their allegiances to their countries. Look at the entire Jurgen Klinsmann era. How many people we do? We, the, the backup players from the German national team that came over to the U.S. and started right away. It's part of the reason why we're as down as we are because <laughs> they were just backups on the German national team. Which is where John Brooks and Fabian Johnson came from, but those are two of the best players of the, 20, the 2010s for the U.S., especially Fabian Johnson who looks to be making a move to the MLS in the coming future. So that's pretty exciting. I loved Fabian Johnson when he played for the U.S. Never complained about where his position was, but he just went out there and played. He was awesome. But yeah, I'm excited for the U.S. I'm watching games like Borussia Dortmund versus RB Leipzig, where you have two very big-name U.S. prospects there. I didn't even think about Chris Richards. He made the start, He made the team for Bayern Munich this past weekend. Another United States international. So, stuff like this, just watching the Bundesliga and looking at these U.S. internationals play for these massive teams. You have uh, Christian Pulisic scoring for Chelsea, basically turning the game around for Chelsea. You have Frank Lampard singing his praises. You have Erling Holland calling Gio Reyna the American dream. Tyler Adams starting week in and week out for RB Leipzig. Weston McKinney started week in and week out for Schalke. Chris Richards making the team for Bayern Munich, the best team in Europe, and he played for them? Now, granted, the league's already wrapped up, so they can afford to play some of the younger players. Because, again, Julian Green saw playing time for Bayern Munich at one point, and look where he is now. He's in the second Bundesliga. But stuff like that, that just gets me excited for the future of the U.S. men's national team. If you're a fan of the U.S. men's national team, I would very much recommend tuning in to FS1 tonight. I think it's at 6.30. I think it's at 7.30 Eastern time. You have the U.S. versus Algeria. The U.S. needed a win in this game to move on to the knockout stages. And Landon Donovan, in the dying seconds of the game, scores a goal to get the U.S. the win. I was at my Nana and Papa's house. I'll never forget where I was because this is one of the most insane games I've ever watched in my entire life. 
I was at my Nana and Papa's house. House is completely empty. Now, that was around the time that my dad started really getting into soccer. Like, actually watching it. Because I would played soccer before that. I watched soccer growing up. I watched Manchester United because, again, I've said this before, they're the only team on TV. So, you kind of had to watch them. And they were so dominant. But then, around 2010, my dad started getting into soccer a little more. Like, actually watching it. And I was expecting him to come over to my Nana and Papa's house. Because at the time, we didn't have direct tv or MediaCon or anything we didn't have cable television i think this game was on espn so i went over to my nana pod and they're like walking distance from my house so i rode my bike there and i've got my u.s jersey on which i still have it's in my closet upstairs she's it's 10 years old it's crazy to think about and all alone landon donovan scores to go tim howard throws it out cross comes in goalie fumbles it pretty much falls to the ground landon donovan smashes it home I was screaming, sprinting around the house, around their house, called my dad about 500 times, didn't answer. And then he finally did. He was all mad because I've called him so many times, but I was losing my mind. I couldn't, I couldn't hold my, I couldn't hold my excitement. I was 12 years old. That's absolutely a crazy thing about. I'm sitting here as a 22 year old doing a podcast, looking back on what happened when I was a 12 year old back in 2010. Now, we just came off of dominating the um, Minneapolis tournament, the Minnesota tournament. I think that was our second year in a row winning that tournament. So we're back now, and that happened. Good Lord, that was one of the most excited times I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm going to watch that tonight because I need to relive that memory. I need to really, I loved those U.S. jerseys, just the all white kits with the stripe down the side. I wasn't a huge fan of the blue ones, but the home ones, I love the home ones. It's simple. Now, they're not my favorite U.S. jerseys of all time. The, my favorite U.S. jerseys is the Where's Waldo one with the stripes on this that were horizontal. I love those uniforms. But I would very much recommend if you did not watch that game live, I would watch it on FS1 tonight. Because that game, not very much happened the entire game until that moment. But there was just so much stress building up. I was standing the entire game. There was so much stress in that game. Even with, even though no, nothing happened pretty much the entire game. It didn't seem like it anyways. But you were just on edge because you're like, they need to score. They need to win. They need to get a goal here. They need to score. And Landon Donovan, arguably the greatest American soccer player of all time, gets the goal to put the U.S. through to the knockout stages. U.S. finished on top of the group with five points. Goals difference. They scored four goals in the tournament. 1-1, drew two, drawing England in the first game with a beautiful strike from Clint Dempsey, which Rob Green basically just fumbled into his own net. But that's all that really mattered. (laughs) because <laughs> the u.s won the game now I, I just pulled up the starting lineups for this game man what a what a weird mixture of players hercules gomez was starting in this game glint dempsey was a winger which we talked about or i talked about on friday i can't remember if i talked about it on friday or wednesday but showing it released on friday so i'm really just remembering what i talked about myself glint dempsey was a winger Landon was a winger Clint dempsey again the reason i wore number eight was because of Clint dempsey 
You had Marisa Du in midfield. Steve Chirundolo, the arguably the greatest right back the U.S. has ever produced. Playing left back in this game. You had Jay Demerick, Carlos Bocanegra, the captain, a young Tim Howard. Jonathan Bornstein. Benny Failhaber, one of my favorite players in MLS history, playing for Sporting Kansas City. Edson Buttle. Jeez, Edson Buttle. And Demarcus Beasley. One of those beautiful white jerseys with the stripe on the side. Now, that was when the U.S.'s uh, Facebook, or not Facebook, YouTube account was actually cool because I used to go on there if I missed a game and just look for the starting lineups and then watch the highlights. That was an awesome time in my life. I loved, I loved this time. 2010 World Cup was awesome. Even though they lost to Ghana, I mean, I would say the 2014 World Cup to me was my favorite one, but the 2010 World Cup was just so much fun to watch. It was frustrating at the it was the entire tournament was frustrating essentially. You had the US tying Slovenia when they really should have won 3 to 2, but a goal got disallowed for whatever reason. No one really knows to this day. But you had some bang average players. Like the definition of bang average players. Like Robbie Finley was a starter in this game. Jose Torres was a starter. He was a nice little utility player as he got later in the year, when, like the start of the Jurgen Klinsmann era. But he's playing center midfield here. Ogochi Onyewu, another one. But a lot, everybody loved this tournament. Everybody loved this team. I loved the 2010 World, 2014 World Cup because that was when my favorite player was the captain. My papa was watching the World Cup. The U.S. had a group, the group of death, and they came in second, beating Portugal in it. Not beating them, but beating them in the group. And then going toe-to-toe with one of the best young teams in Europe and Belgium. It was awesome. But the 2010 one, man. I'm, I'm going to be sitting down on my couch, getting nervous the entire time watching this game. Even though I know exactly what happens. And I'm going to go crazy whenever Donovan scores. But man, I just... Ah, this game's going to be awesome to watch. I cannot wait for tonight so make sure you go tune to that especially if you didn't watch the game live it was one of the greatest games in u.s soccer history i don't think there's much for debate of that this this game though was boring at times with algeria pretty much sitting back the entire time the u.s found a way to win with landon donovan depending on who you ask the greatest american soccer player of all time getting a goal to seal victory, moving the U.S. to the next round of the World Cup. Man, I'm excited for the future of the U.S., and I'm excited, and I will reminisce about the past tonight. The future's bright, at least for my eyes, anyways. There's a lot of exciting players out there, and it's fun watching the Bundesliga and seeing all these young U.S. internationals playing and having great success while doing it. So with that being said, let's take a quick break here on the Logan Blackman Show. We'll come back, do some KBO scores, Got some MLB stuff to talk about as well. Then we'll get into more of our NFL stuff. Because I got a new segment in today. In a bracket style that which we have never done before. So with that being said, let's take a quick break. I will see you all right after this. Welcome back everybody. This is Logan. And if you were just listening to the last section, we talked a lot about soccer. A little more than what we usually do. We went on a random tangent, which again, we have never done one time in the history of the Logan Blackman show about the U.S. men's national team and the future in which the U.S. men's national team holds and what we should expect from the U.S. men's national team in the coming years. Because, again, 
there's a lot of exciting players for the U.S. in the Bundesliga and some of the best youth academies in the world. We already mentioned the likes of Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, Chris Pulisic, Sergino Dest. Like, there's so many. Josh Sargent's in Germany as well. John Brooks, who's an older player, but still there. There's so many young, talented U.S. internationals that are looking to make the big noise on the biggest stage. The big noise on the big stage. Is that a new phrase? Possibly. But I'm excited to see what the future holds. And a reminder, make sure to tune in tonight at 6.30 on FS1 to watch the U.S. beat Algeria to move on to the knockout stage and win the group of the 2020-10 World Cup. Did I say 2020-10? The 2010 World Cup. <laughs> it was one of the greatest games I've ever watched. And it didn't, a lot didn't happen in the game, but that still doesn't make it exciting. But we have a lot more stuff to talk about today. We're not just talking about soccer today, even though we talked a very good amount of soccer today. That's not all we were planning on talking about today. Just to, just to let you know, I'm sorry. We got a lot of KBO scores to go over, since it's the only baseball that we're going to be getting for quite some time. Uh, let's go all the way back to Thursday when we didn't have any game. We were we were going to pre- preview the games or re-go, recap the games from Thursday and Friday, but we didn't have a show on Friday. So Thursday, we had KT beat SK 5-3, Doosan beat Samsung 7-3, Kiwum beat Lot 3-2, and LG beat Hanwa 9-7. The game against the Kia Tigers and the NC Dinos was postponed. So moving on to Friday, we had KT beating Lot 9-8, Kia Tigers beating the Samsung Lions 5-4, NC Dinos beating Hanwa 3-1, the Doosan Bears beating the LG Twins 18-10, a very high-scoring affair there. And Kiwum beating SK 2-1. Let's look at that 18-10 scoreline for the Doosan Bears versus the LG Twins. Doosan, after the second inning, after the top of the second inning, was up 13-1. This is after two, this is after one and a half innings. 13-1, then LG scored three runs in the second. 13-4 after two innings. Then LG started to claw back again, got one run in the third. So now it's 13-5. Doosan got two runs in the fourth, same as LG. Got three runs in the sixth, and LG didn't really do a lot to counter that. I mean, losing by eight runs is a blowout. But when you look at it in the fact, like, losing 8-0, to zero, to me, is seen as a worse game than losing 18-10. to 10. It's a worse blowout, losing 8-0, because you got the big old goose egg. It's crazy. But insane game, 18 to 10. How often do we see score lines like that? It's absolutely ridiculous. Pitching-wise, for the Deuce on Bears, Lee Young-Ha, three and two-thirds innings, nine hits, giving up seven and runs, one walk, four strikeouts in the game. Hong Jio hyu and two and two-thirds inning pitch, gave up two hits and had four strikeouts in the game. Easily the best pitcher for the Deuce on Bears in this game. Batting-wise, we had Park Kun Woo had three RBIs, we had Zhang Su Bin with three RBIs. There's just like some good batting numbers. Choi Zhu Han, three RBIs. Kuk Hae Sung, three RBIs. Like There's just like a lot of good performances from the Doosan Bears. For LG Twins, again, 10 runs in an average game, you winning that game. If you score 10 runs. But if the other team scores 18, then you're you're losing that game. Hitting-wise, Lee Chun Wong, three RBIs in the game off of two hits. Got a walk in the game as well. Che Yuan Seung, two RBIs in the game, and Park Young Tyke, 
two RBIs in the game off four hits. Went four for five in the game. Very impressive performance from him. Pitching-wise, as we said, the Doosan Bears scored five runs in the first inning. Chabu Chan did not make it past the first inning. He pitched one inning, gave up six hits, gave up eight runs, three walks, and one strikeout. Absolutely crazy. He made it to the second inning, didn't do anything in the second inning. Then Kim Dae-yu gave up three hits, five earned runs, and one walk in the game. Like, the bullpen, the start, this it just was not the their game for the LG Twins, to say the least. It was just not a good game at all. Moving on to Saturday, LG got, gave up a lot less runs to the Doosan Bears, but still allowed eight and lost eight to two. Uh, Lowe beat KT 8-0. Hanwa beat the NC Dinos 4-3. Kiyun beat SK 9-3. And the Kia Tigers beat the Samsung Lions 6-3. And yesterday, the NC Dinos beat Hanwa 9-7. Doosan completed the sweep over the LG Twins, winning 3-1. Kiwoom beating SK 7-2. Samsung beat Kia 12-5. And KT beat Lowe 3-2. Right now, in the standings for the KBO... NC Dinos remain atop the league with 28 wins, 12 losses. Doosan Bears and the LG Twins are both three and a half games back, both teams with 25 and 16 records. Kiwoom sits fourth with 25 and 17. Kia next with 23 and 18. There's a slight drop off to 20 wins with Lowe and Samsung both at 20 wins. KT is at 18 wins, SK's at 12. And Hanwa has finally reached the double-digit mark with a record of 10 and 32. Now, not very impressive, but it is impressive the fact that they got over 10 wins on the season. Because some of us, like myself, did not know this day would ever come. They were struggling. They're still dead last night. They're 19 games back at the NC Dinos. They ain't doing anything anytime soon. But the fact they got over 10 wins and are only two games behind SK, that's very impressive. Or two and a half games behind SK. It's very impressive. Now, it's just a battle for last place. Who can Hanwa pass SK? Because they're... Han was eight games behind KT. SK is six games behind KT. So it's just got ways to go if you don't want to be last or second to last in the KBO this year. But other baseball we got, since, you know, this is the only baseball we're probably going to get this year, the KBO. At least well-documented stuff with ESPN broadcasting the KBO at 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, midnight, whatever. The MLB, though, uh, I am not confident this is going to happen. I've said this every day we have talked about this. My confidence levels of there being an actual season has dwindled by the day. Manfred yesterday said universal DH and expanded playoffs will be canceled if baseball is not played this year. And apparently also Manfred said there is not enough time to complete a 60 game season. So will there be baseball? I don't know. Because apparently they're trying to go somewhere between 48 and 50 games. Is what they're looking for. 46 to 48 games is something they said. Jesse Rogers from ESPN. It is likely the players will reject MLB's latest return proposal. As we said the other day, or the other week, there's a lot of distrust and anger between the two sides. So will he have baseball? Simple answer, probably not. I very i'm not very confident there will be baseball played this season it's sad because i love baseball i love the chicago cubs i love getting angry at the chicago cubs for disappointing me every single season 
It's not every season, I shouldn't say that. It's not really disappointing. Last year, was ever since the World Series, you have, you set such lofty expectations with this young core, reigning MVP. You Expectations are skyrocketing. And then you proceed to get swept by the Dodgers and then not make the playoffs last year. And just getting embarrassed in the playoffs two seasons prior to this. And then this last year just absolutely sucking and not even making the playoffs. But Madden deserved another chance. No. I'm happy. I'm forever grateful for Joe Madden. But things need to change. You cannot miss the playoffs with this core. It's just, you can't. You can't do that. This core is too good. And the managing, and the, the it just hasn't been great the past two years. Last three years, really. But hopefully, if baseball comes back, which again, doesn't look very likely, the Cubs live up to their fans' lofty expectations and don't disappoint. Again, this is bad player signings, bad contracts all over the place, which has set the Cubs back a pretty, pretty decent place back. It's sad, but that's the reality of it. That's I'm not going to talk a lot about baseball because there's only one new thing that pops up every day, and then the, the talking point's done. And what else do you want me to say? Do you want me to hyperanalyze this and go, well, if they do that? No. It, simple answer. They're, I'm thinking there's not going to be baseball this year. The players and the teams, the players and the owners are not getting along at all. There's no trust at all between these two teams or these two oppositions, these two opposing forces, I guess. So do I think there's going to be baseball? No. End of discussion. We'll talk about it again on Wednesday whenever something new comes up with the players to, um, releasing a statement again, basically just showing the middle finger to the MLB owners and the owners come back with dual birding the players and it's nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Jesse Rogers, again, from ESPN, it's likely the players will reject the MLB's latest return pro- pro- proposal. So I think it's happening. No, I do not. Now, let's get into a sport that, as far as I know, and as far as I'm concerned, all signs are pointing to, this is a go. We are going to act normally. Everything's looking good. Now, things might have to change because the, the players are starting to come out with COVID-19 cases and whatever. That's just going to come with the amount of testing they're doing. More testing equals more patience and with their in shape if they're under the age of 20 or 25 around that if they're just in shape and healthy they should be fine but it's still scary because no one really knows what it is still to this day and we've been scared of this even before 2020 2019 this was started up and 2020 came and then everything got ramped up to a thousand or not thousand a billion and here we are today but as far as I know, season looks like it's go all goes, all signs are pointing to go, go, go. The air traffic control people are using those lantern things and telling people to go and all that stuff. So, yeah, let's talk about some football. And the biggest news coming out of the NFL is Dak Prescott has signed a franchise or is expected to sign a franchise tag. I guess it's not officially official yet. They're doing it sometime today, if I read my tweets right, that it's looking like he will sign one of those. But we don't know 100%, because I guess if if he doesn't sign today, then I don't know. But as far as I am concerned, it looks like he is going to be signing 
a $31.4 million exclusive franchise tender sometime today. Uh, Adam Schefter hasn't tweeted anything about it, so I don't know if he's officially signed it or not. Oh, here we go. Ian Rappaport. From NFL Now, if Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott signs his franchise tag soon, so it's still not 100% happening. This is from an hour ago, about an hour ago. He'll lock in his money for 2020. That's not an indication that the sides are close to an extension. It just means the virtual offseason ended and he will be at camp on time. So, from what I've read this morning, it looks like Dak is wanting a four-year contract. He doesn't want a five-year deal because if you get franchise tagged twice, then he's going to be there for basically seven years, and he doesn't want that. He's not ready to do that extremely long-term contract that the Cowboys are so desperately trying to push across the line. At least that's what it seems like. They're just on different sides of the argument trying to go, well, I don't want this much years on the contract. Uh, we want you this long. I don't know. Now, the two sides still have until July 15th to work out a long-term deal. So we got just under a month until that has to happen if they're going to do the long-term deal. If not, Dak will go into the season with his exclusive franchise tender and be franchise tagged for the season. And this is the first QB to have this type of tag since, someone take a guess, say your guesses now, five, four, three, two, one, since Kirk Cousins when he was on the Redskins. First time since 2017, if I believe, if I remember what the what the numbers were. And I think that's right. So, and Cowboys starting quarterback Dak Prescott will get his exclusive franchise tag. If he signs it. First time since 2017, since Kirk Cousins on the Redskins. Just the NFC East and just not signing players to big deals. And you get the, the quarterbacks that aren't, do that, uh, I don't know, that teams are hesitant to lock down the big-time deals. Like Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, both good quarterbacks, but they don't know if they want to plug in their entire future into that quarterback. Or at least the quarterback in this scenario, Dak, does not want to plug his future into the Dallas Cowboys, if, that, if, that, if that's what it seems like. Now, to other to some people, Dak deserves this money full-heartedly. He is a top-five quarterback in the league. He is amazing, and yeah, give him the money. Show him the money. But to me, Dak is a top 10 quarterback, not top five, and he is overvaluing himself. If the rumors are true that he's wanting Russell Wilson money, like for a contract, I get franchise tag and all that stuff, but for a contract wanting Russell Wilson money, then that's a little ludicrous to say the least, at least in my opinion, I think Dak is a good quarterback. I think he is, I mean, this isn't really much for debate. He is a starter in the league. That's not really up for debate, but is he a starter in the league on the Dallas Cowboys? And he is, is he as good as the money he's about to get paid? Difficult to tell, I guess you could say, but it looks like he is locked in to next season. I don't think the Cowboys were really worried about that to a certain extent because you have Andy Dalton who has many years as a starter in the NFL. So you have that backup option in your arsenal, I guess you could say. But you don't obviously want to do it because you got to, you'd rather you'd much rather have Dak Prescott than Andy Dalton. And I was watching Colin Coward when I was eating lunch just a little bit ago. 
he was talking to some guy that's very close to the Cowboys organization. I think he's a beat writer. Now, I could be wrong on that, but if I remember correctly. And he brought up a good point. Mike McCarthy not wanting to marry his starting quarterback just as he's getting started. They haven't dated yet. So that's probably what they're going to try and do. Mike McCarthy, franchise tag him this year, have Mike McCarthy give his opinions about the quarterback, and then we'll see what happens afterwards. So you tied down Zeke to this big contract. You got Amari Cooper tied down to this massive contract. And now it's Dak's turn. But we're going to have to wait till it looks like July 15th at least. I would imagine. Because I don't think they're going to sign a new deal today or tomorrow. I think it's going to take that entire half month or however much longer we have until then to get this whole thing sorted out. So I have a new game here today. Usually on Mondays, we do yay or nay, which we might do later in the show. But I've got a new one. It's, I mean, I didn't come up with the idea, but I came up with the idea for the radio show. Okay, that, I haven't seen this on a radio show. I see it all the time on social media and all that stuff. But start, bench, cut. I think a lot of people are very aware of what this topic is. You go through three quarterbacks, and you start one, you bench one, and you cut the last one. But this is the sad, the scary part or sad part because I'm going to do this by division like we usually do. So we got the AFC, North, South, East, West, same with the NFC and go through each division, talk about which quarterbacks are doing what. But there's four teams in each division. So that, that leaves us with a wee bit of an issue. We're going to have to launch the last quarterback into the firing flames, the fire pits or whatever, the Snarlack pit. Because we don't have anything to do with them. We'll just cut the last one, send them on their merry way, and then launch the fourth one in the Starlight Pit. And then we'll we'll go back and look at the four quarterbacks. Because in each division, there's eight divisions in each league. so Or four divisions in each league. So you got eight total divisions. So we'll take the guy that we threw in the Starlight Pit, and we'll rank them accordingly. We'll, do, we'll put them up against each other. So, like, if one quarterback from the AFC West comes last, I'll compare them, and we'll do start bench cut with or we'll but we'll make up something else it's like backup cut snarlight pit and then well then we're stuck with the four again so we're in a sticky situation we're just gonna launch the fourth one in the snarlight pit okay this and i feel sorry for their families because they'll be digested over a thousand years but that's just what happens so let's go in this look at each division rank each quarterback by start bench cut snarlight pit and yeah fourth qb we do whatever. He either doesn't exist, throw him into the fire, make a sacrifice, but we're doing Snarlack Pit. So let's start it off with the AFC North. Now, the quarterbacks for the AFC North. Now, we've done multiple quarterback brackets. We've ranked quarterbacks on the Logan Blackman show. Here's what we got. We got the Ravens, Bengals, Browns, and Steelers. We got Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, and Ben Roethlisberger. Start, I think it's obvious we're starting Lamar Jackson. I think second ever unanimous MVP in NFL history Led the league in passing touchdowns last year. First quarterback to ever throw for 3,000 and rush for 1,000 yards in a season. He's an insane player. Now, the offense, a lot of people argue, is very toned to his strength. Which, yeah, that's how offenses work. Like, oh, he's a system. The system is him. (laughs) A lot of people are like, if he was in a different offense, then he wouldn't be as good. Well, yeah, if he was thrown into, say, the Patriots offense... I don't think you are the, not the Patriots, because Bill Belichick would probably fix his offense around that. Um, the Raiders offense, 
I don't know if he'd be as good because John Gruden's not necessarily, he has a lot of very complex plays, but is he the smartest head coach in the world? I don't know. John Harbaugh is one of the smartest coaches in the NFL, completely changed his offense to fit Lamar Jackson's game. You're going to fit your system around your quarterback. That's how it works. The term system quarterback is stupid because you know who's the system? The quarterback. And if they go to a new team and it doesn't work out, it's because that team did not do a good job at incorporating that quarterback into the system, which was the old quarterback. So it didn't work out for him. I hate the term system quarterback. Well, Lamar Jackson is obviously the starter here. Bench? Now, we got to look at potential here. We got to look at injuries. We got to look at all this stuff. So, bench, I am going to say... Ooh, it's stuck between two. I'm going to say Ben. Now, I think I've done a few quarterback rankings where I've listed Baker above Ben just because of the injuries and stuff. But I think out of all skill level, if we're going off just in, like if just look, injuries aside, because Ben coming back from an elbow injury is not the easiest injury to come back from, especially from a quarterback. So how will he be going into the season? I don't know. But I think the Steelers were only a quarterback away from making the playoffs last year. Their defense was one of the best in the league with Minka Fitzpatrick being one of the best, if not the best safety in the NFL last year. Their defense is legit. Their offense just needed a quarterback, and now Ben's back. Now, do I think Ben is better than Baker Mayfield? Yes, I think he is. But in the future, would he be? Probably not. But I'm going to say bench Ben, and I'm going to cut Baker, and then I'm going to throw Joe Burrow in the Snorlock pit just because I haven't seen him in the NFL yet. I don't think it's fair to rank him above Baker Mayfield, and he hasn't played a single snap in the NFL. So he did that. Like, Tim Couch was drafted first overall. I don't think a lot of people were putting him above a lot of people in the NFL. I would take Tim Couch over Drew Bledsoe any day. Why? Because he was drafted first overall. I really like him. Now, that's just a random example, but I wouldn't take Tim Couch over anybody. Just because you're a high draft, it doesn't mean you're going to pan out in the NFL. Joey Harrington's one. Achilles Smith's another one. Uh, Cade McNown, we talked about him two Fridays ago, was one. And there's so many. Johnny Manziel's a first-round draft pick. Like, there's so many quarterbacks that don't pan out. Jamarcus Russell, Ryan Leaf. Like, there's so many, quote-unquote, can't-miss prospects. Every prospect can miss. You can miss on somebody. There's no such thing as a can't-miss prospect. But Joe hasn't played a snap in the NFL, so I don't feel it's fair to put him over a guy like Baker in this situation. Now, I could be persuaded to throw Baker over Banks. I think Baker is very talented. I just think he had a very bad sophomore season based around bad coaching and terrible play calling. I think he'll be really good this year. In my opinion, based off what they've done, because they have completely turned that offense around. They got two new starting tackles, which is what they've needed. They had a terrible offensive line last year. They traded away their best offensive lineman, Kevin Zeitler, for Odell Beckham Jr. So Baker had no time to do anything. Baker was doing seven-step drops every time he dropped back. Baker's not a seven-step drop quarterback, and it didn't work out. You got a new tight end in there as well as Austin Hooper. You got him with David Njoku, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Nick Chubb, one of the best running backs in the NFL. The Browns are poised to actually make some noise this year. They are a better team this year than they were at the start of the season last year when everybody was hyping them up and possibly going to the Super Bowl just because they got Odell Beckham. I think they're a way better team on paper. Like, if we're just looking at the start of the season last year and the start of the season this year, because obviously, looking at the start of the season last year, knowing what we know now, you're like, oh, wow, the Browns were set up to fail. Why are the Browns stick? But if you remember last year, 
around June, whenever the trade happened, let's go August of last year. Sports Illustrated released their NFL season poll thing. And the Browns, by a lot of people's estimates, were going to win the division. It's what a lot of people thought. Or at least win like 10 or 11 games last year. I think I had them going 9 and 7. Maybe 8 and 8. I had them somewhere around there. The Browns this year might actually make some noise. But I think people have gone in there and go like, oh, okay, let's not fully jump on the bandwagon yet because they are the Browns still. They could still suck. But I think Baker's going to have a good year this year. Now, I think you could do a coin flip between Baker and Ben because you got to throw in the injuries for Ben. you got to throw in the H for Ben. Baker has not had any injuries, but he had a very bad sophomore season. So you could go either way. But I'm going to go with Ben because I think Ben is a better quarterback than Baker maybe. He's won two Super Bowls. And I'm not saying Baker can't win two Super Bowls, but that's not necessarily saying that makes Ben the best quarterback because, like, you look at quarterbacks who won Super Bowls. Trent Dilfer's won a Super Bowl. Jeff Hosteller's won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco's won a Super Bowl. There's a lot of quarterbacks that have won a Super Bowl that aren't that doesn't make them better than other quarterbacks. But I don't know. Ben's just done it for a long time, and I think Ben's a very good quarterback. He might retire before the season starts because that's what it seems like he does every single freaking year. But yeah, start Lamar, bench Ben, cut Baker, uh, throw Joe Burrow in the Snarlack pit. Actually, we'll throw him into like um, I don't know. I'll throw him in purgatory or something because I don't want him to be like digested over a thousand years. This is me. I like Joe Burrow. I don't want to be that mean. AFC South is next. Uh, I think this is arguably the easiest one in the list. Actually, no, it's not. The AFC West is. The AFC South is decently. You start Deshaun Watson, obviously. And then you're stuck between two people. I think we're throwing we're throwing Phil in the stomach pit. I'm sorry, Phil. I love you. You're one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. But after last year, I can't really put you above the two quarterbacks here. And that's Gardner Minshew and Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I'm going to put Tannehill. We're going to bench Tannehill, cut Minshew. I think Minshew's awesome. I love Minshew. Actually, I don't know. They're both really good. I, well, not really good. I think Minshew, might, not Minshew, Tannehill might be the new age Ryan Fitzpatrick. Dominates contract year and then just goes to average the next year. But Tannehill showed last year why it took the Dolphins to, forever to get rid of him. Because he has that potential. To be that awesome quarterback for your franchise. He did great things at times in Miami. Not saying winning-wise, but he put up great numbers at times in Miami. And now he's doing the same thing in Tennessee. Now he's more of a, like, what do you want to call it? He just doesn't need to mess up and they'll win games. Because their defense is good and their running game is elite. Not saying he won't. they won't win it. Like, he doesn't mess up. They'll win. They'll go 9-7 and seven every single year. That's just what the Titans do done that i think the last four three or four seasons which is ridiculous all right we talk about consistency of byron munich winning eight net eight bundesligas or north coast state winning eight of the last nine national championships winning nine games four years in a row like doing the exact same thing four years in a row or three i can't remember but that's that's insane <laughs> that's ridiculous but who would you take over gardner Minshew or uh ryan Tannehill? Minshew's played one year uh, he's more than likely going to get replaced next year if he doesn't ball out, which I think he could ball because I think he's a very talented dude. He just doesn't do anything that wows you. He doesn't have to. Tom Brady, at his start of his career, didn't do anything that wowed you. But he won games. I think Minshew, if given the right people around him, could be very good in the NFL if he's given a chance, which is what happened. He didn't get a chance at East Carolina. 
He got a chance at Washington State, put up godlike numbers, but he's just not very big and he doesn't have a strong arm. Some people don't like that. It's worked out for Tom Brady. It's worked out for Drew Brees. More so Drew Brees because he's short and has a good arm. There's a weaker arm, I guess. I don't know. I'd take Deshaun Watson to start Phillip Rivers and like Pitt. Uh, we'll bench Tannehill because he's been to the playoffs and got to the AFC Championship game, even though he didn't really do a lot, and cut Minshew. Sorry, Gardner. I like you, but that's just what's going to happen here. AFC East, uh, start Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills. Now we get in a little tough situation here. Because you got two quarterbacks here. So bench Sam Darnold. Now you got Jared Stenham and two attack of Villa. Those two have played pretty much the same amount of NFL football. So who do I think is better out of the two? I really like Jared Stidham. I think Jared Stidham will get eased into this job. Because, like I said about Tom Brady, at the beginning of his career, he didn't do anything that wowed anybody because the Patriots didn't put a lot on his plate that early in his career. They saw what he had. They completely wasted a roster spot to keep him on the roster. They had four quarterbacks his rookie year just so no one would take him. They knew what he was. They saw him what he what he did at Michigan is what he did for the Patriots. They just had Drew Henson there. So there was always going to be that hype about this kid that's the greatest thing in Michigan football history, like in the state of Michigan. Goes to Michigan. He's going to be right on his doorstep. But when you ever, whenever you have a popular backup quarterback, it puts tons of pressure on the starter. Like you look at Brian Hoyer with Johnny Manziel, um, Kyle Orton in Denver with Tim Tebow, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City with uh, Alex Smith. Every time you have a popular backup quarterback, the starter is going to get pressured on. But Tom Brady at Michigan didn't let that get to him. He won an Orange Bowl or won the Sugar Bowl against Alabama in a comeback fashion, which is what he's done in the NFL. After game after game after game, they did the rotating quarterback thing, and Tom Brady would always have to come in and rescue Michigan. I think Jarrett Stidham is going to have the same process going to the NFL as Tom Brady did. They're not going to put on a lot on his plate early. They know he's talented. Because if you watch Jarrett Stidham at both Baylor and Auburn, you saw he has talent. But it's not anything that necessarily wows you. Just another Tom Brady, essentially. Kind of uh, the same story, I guess. Except for the whole benching thing and all that stuff. But he won't do anything early. But I think he could be really good eventually. And Tua, I think for his sake, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a start before him. That's just my opinion because I think Tua could take a redshirt year, learn from Fitzpatrick, and Fitzpatrick gets hurt, Rosen goes in. Doesn't put any necessary pressure on Tua. Doesn't get him hurt early in his career again. So if I'm doing this, because this one's fair. Unlike Burrow with Baker Mayfield there, Baker's played two seasons in the NFL. In this scenario, Jared Stidham hasn't really played any significant time in the NFL. Tua hasn't played any significant time in the NFL. So you can actually look at this and go, who would I rather take here, Tua or Jared Stidham? Now, this could come back to bite me because I really like Jarrett Stidham. I really like Jarrett Stidham. I liked him coming out of Baylor when he transferred from Baylor to this Juco to now to Auburn. Dude's a baller. Tua is one of the most accurate quarterbacks I've seen coming out of college in a while. You got the likes of him, Baker's up there as well. And other quarterbacks before that as well. Um, I'm Well, it's just cutting in Snorlax Pitts, so it's pretty much the same fate anyways. Um... We're going to cut Tua, throw, sit him in the Starlack pit. 
it's the same outcome anyways the only difference is you're not making you're both both of them are not making the team only one of them's coming out alive the other one's getting digested for a thousand years no nothing personal but josh allen starts sam Darnold on the bench i think that's pretty easy uh afc west easy division in football start mahomes bench luck cut car throw tire out in the starlight pit that's the easiest one in football there's not really a lot of explaining to that mahomes best quarterback in the nfl lock out of these quarterbacks he could probably go if he was in another division he'd be the guy that starts for him but yeah and car gets cut car and tyrod pretty similar quarterbacks but yeah car get cut lock you're benched but you're still on the team though nfc north um again pretty simple one start rogers bent cousins cut stafford throw trubisky in the strong pit pretty simple one aaron Rodgers, uh one of the greatest quarterbacks in nfl history uh both Kirk Cousins and Matt Stafford are very underappreciated by a lot of people and very underrated for what they do. I think Stafford gets more love than Kirk Cousins does because of the fact Matt Stafford has been stuck on the lines for his entire career and Kirk Cousins got one of the biggest free agent contracts in NFL history. So it's that's really why they're like Matt Stafford gets a lot of love from a lot of people. I love Matt Stafford. I think even division rivals and the Bears, Packers, and Vikings love Matt Stafford. But I'd take Kirk Cousins over him if I'm being honest that you could argue either way. I think either one of them could be a perfect fit for backup for Aaron Rodgers. but I think we can all agree. Trubisky goes in the strong like pit. I think that one's fun. Uh, NFC South. This one's tough. Okay. We're going to throw Teddy Bridgewater into the snarl like pit. <laughs> obviously. Um, we are going to start as tough. Cause we got a lot of old guys here. I wouldn't really want to build my franchise around these old guys right now. But Breeze and Brady are the best. I'm going to cut Matt Ryan, sadly. I think Matt Ryan's a very good quarterback. We're just going off last year. Then I cut Tom Brady and bench Matt Ryan, start Drew Breeze. But that's not what we're going off. I'm going off potential for this year. I'm going to cut Ryan. I'm going to start. Um... Let's look at it like this. Okay, Drew Brees is Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Alan Kamara, Jared Cook. Very talented group. Tom Brady, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Chris Chris Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski, and Ronald Jones. With Tristan Wirfs coming in as a starting right tackle or left tackle, whichever one they slot him in at. And he's got Reed Sinnott breathing out his neck. So, (laughs) he's he's got some challengers there. Drew Brees has a very talented offensive line. Very talented receiving core, very talented running back, very capable backup behind him and uh, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. Who would I rather have? Uh, crap. They're both old. Breeze is coming off an injury. Brady's coming off his worst year, worst year in years. It feels like his last throw in a Patriots uniform is a pick six. Ah. Both lost in the first round of the playoffs, too. So, I'm going to start Breeze, bench Brady. I think Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. Breeze is, like, two years younger. So, that's the only reason I got here. I think Brady might have better yards. Actually, I don't know. That's a flip of the coin. I don't really know who I'd rather have there. I mean, Green, cut Ryan, throw Teddy in the Snorlax pit. But the starter and bench, I don't know. NFC East, eh, pretty simple one. Start Wentz, bench Dak, 
cut, Daniel Jones, throw, Dwayne Haskins, and the Starlock Pit. Pretty simple one. Wentz the best quarterback in the division. Dak's easily the second best. Daniel Jones easily the third. Like, there's such a big break off in talent in this division. I mean, I think Dwayne Haskins is a very talented quarterback. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think Dwayne Haskins is uber talented. But Dwayne Haskins is set up to fail in Washington. Why? Because it's the Washington Redskins. That's what they do. They always fail their quarterbacks. And at least in Dane Snyder's reign in terror in Washington. But I think Daniel Jones, though he fumbled 18 times last year, I still think he's better at this point in time than Dwayne Haskins is. I think Dwayne Haskins would eventually be better than Daniel Jones, but at this point in time, I think Daniel Jones is better. The NFC West, start Russell Wilson, bench Kyler Murray, cut Jimmy G and throw Jared Goff in the Starlight Pit. Um, three of the four quarterbacks in the division have been to a Super Bowl. Only one of them has won. Russell Wilson's undoubtedly the best quarterback in this division. He's a top three quarterback in the NFL. There's not a lot to explain there for why he's the best. Kyler Murray, I think potential-wise and skill-ability-wise, and skill-wise, skill-ability-wise, skill-wise, Kyler Murray is the second-best quarterback in this division. I think he's going to take off this year. I think that's one of the red, the Cardinals' slogans, take off. Take it, take it, take off. You got DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, Kenyon Drake there for a full season. Defense has improved, so the offense doesn't have as much pressure on them. Got Josh Jones in the third round. Very experienced left tackle from Houston. But Kyler Murray, I think, ability-wise, is the second best in that division. Uh, at this point in time, I would rather have Jimmy Garoppolo than Jared Goff. Uh, Jared Goff did not have a great year last year. He had a great season yard-wise, but so did James Winston. Uh, Goff uh, is talented. Goff has talent. This division has got good quarterbacks in it. Not one of these quarterbacks is bad. There's not one quarterback in here where you go like, oh, yeah, definitely bench this guy. I think you'd argue cut Garoppolo or cut Goff. I think you'd make compelling arguments either way just because you don't want to go in the Starlock pit. That's like the last place you want to go. But I think the 49ers have built a better team around Garoppolo than Goff has, than the Rams have for Goff. Not at the start. Goff had a very good team around him when they first got there, but now it's starting to, I don't know. It's still a good team, but they're just they're probably going to finish around below. They're going to finish below 500 probably. Got the ugly uniforms. They deserve it. They deserve it. So out of all the quarterbacks in this league, the stars in each division, Josh Allen, Buffalo, are in the AFC East. Lamar Jackson in the AFC North. Deshaun Watson in the AFC South. Patty Mahomes in the AFC West. Uh, Carson Wentz in the NFC East. Aaron Rodgers in the NFC North. NFC South. Skip. <laughs> and NFC West. Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson. We will. Uh, who do we want to start? Breeze or Brady? Because both of them. <laughs> Breeze fumbled the ball and basically lost the Saints game. Brady threw a pick six, which sealed the game. So, like, neither one of them had great ends of their seasons last year. Who do I want to take, though? Do I want to take Drew Brees or Tom Brady? TB12. <sighs> neither. <laughs> Let's go neither. Let's just say that. Both get cut. All the quarterbacks in that division get cut. No. We will take Brady just because of his legacy. Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. And, Yeah. That's the, my only reasoning here. <laughs> I don't really have any other reasoning other than that, that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. So with that being said, let's take a quick break here on the Logan Blackman Show. We'll come back. We got some Jamal Adams drama to talk about and a defensive back bracket, something that we've never done before. We got each division, each team's got their best defensive backs, so both safety 
and cornerback, and we place them head-to-head against the other teams in their division to see who comes out on top. So stay tuned right after this little two-second break. Welcome back, everybody. I am, of course, Logan Blackman. We are here for the last half hour of this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. If you were listening the last half hour, actually, not just the last half hour, but the just the show in general, just a little recap of the show. We have gone through scores from the world of soccer, from all the different leagues, because basically all the big leagues in the world are back, except for, like, Liga and MLS are not back yet, but the MLS will be coming back on July 8th, I believe. The Liga is done. So we don't need to worry about anybody trying to take PSG's crown away, which they weren't going to anyways. But, yeah, we went over those. We went over the KBO scores. We went over the whole MLB player situation. We went over Dak Prescott with his new contract extension or franchise tag and see if he gets a contract over the ways come July 15th. Then we played a little game of start, bench, cut, and Snarlack pit and basically went through every single team's divisions, went, all through, went through all the divisions of the NFL, Start, bench, cut, starlight pit for all of them, and that's where we are right now. But there was something I forgot to do at the beginning of the show, which was go over the Premier League scores for today. I haven't touched on that. I kind of forgot about it, and I turned on the TV, and on channel 220, it's Manchester City versus Burnley. And unsurprisingly, right now, Manchester City is up 1-0 against Burnley in the 39th minute of the game. Again, not really surprising. Phil Foden gets the goal. He scored a goal against Arsenal. Got a goal in this one. Started on the left wing for Manchester City in this game. Uh, Bernardo Silva got the assist for Manchester City. And yeah, pretty unsurprising the fact that they're up 1-0. It's in the 40th minute now. We're almost at halftime. Phil got his goal in the 22nd minute of the game. Yeah, this is just pretty standard stuff. I mean, we've come to just expect Manchester City to beat almost every single team in the league bar Liverpool and Manchester United because Manchester United has beaten them twice this season. They did the double over Manchester City this year. But Manchester City over the lower league teams like a Newcastle or a West Ham or a Burnley or Norwich, you fully expect Man City to take care of them. It's just facts. You just expect Manchester City to just go in there and win the game. If they don't, you are very surprised. So them up 1-0 right now is the least surprising thing I have seen in a while. But, yeah, I just wanted to go over that because I kind of forgot they were playing today. I went over the games from this past weekend and didn't really touch on anything right now. But there's other scores that went on today. Villarreal and Sevilla drew 2-2. AC Milan beat Lecce 4-1. And Fiorentina and Brescia drew 1-1. Juventus and Bologna will be playing a little bit later today in about four minutes from now. So, yeah, if you want to watch that game, go right ahead. At least I think it's four minutes from now. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But if I'm not, it's on four minutes from now. And with that being said, let's go into our next talking point, our defensive back bracket. Now, on Friday, we were going to do a wide receiver bracket, but I couldn't remember if I did it or not, so I listened back on old shows and couldn't find a place where I talked about it. But if I did, I didn't want to risk it. What if I talked about it a while ago? I didn't want to do that. So today, with Jamal Adams, with his whole I want to leave the Jets, it's time for a change thing, we have to go over the best defensive backs in the NFL. Now, I know this is a little unfair to some teams because different players do different things. So how can you compare a safety to a corner when they don't do the same things? Well, it's just a whole unit in general. I mean, they don't do the same things, but we're going to compare them all. But before we get into that, let's talk about a little bit about Jamal Adams' situation. 
Uh, unsurprisingly, trying to force a move away from the Jets, most likely to be to the Cowboys. He's from Texas. Wants to go play for the Dallas Cowboys. But is that reasonable? And all the teams, he had a seven-team shortlist. The Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Seahawks. You know what's interesting about those teams? Every single one of those teams made the playoffs, and every single one of those teams, minus the Chiefs, and Texans, and Ravens, have are, are, have or are going to unload a ton of money to their starting quarterback. Seahawks got Russell Wilson, a huge contract. Jimmy Garoppolo, huge contract. Uh, Carson Wentz, huge contract. Patrick Mahomes, we can't even fathom what kind of contract he is going to get. And they can barely afford to play Chris Jones. They're not going to be able to pay Jamal Adams. The Texans, they're about to pay Deshaun Watson a pretty good amount. I know he's on a fifth-year option this year. But future-wise, I don't know what they'd get, what they're going to pay him. And to get Jamal Adams, the Jets are going to look for first-round picks. The Texans don't have any picks. <laughs> they traded away pretty much every single one of their picks. Bill O'Brien does not value draft picks. He's one of those old-school, like, 1950s, 60s drafters who are like, we don't value draft picks. So draft picks are pretty much meaningless. So you see, like, draft picks for players get thrown around like crazy in the early stages of the NFL. But now draft picks are actually valuable. Very valuable the higher you get. The Texans don't value draft picks. As you've seen, Bill O'Brien's recent dealing, wheelings and dealings around teams around the NFL. The Cowboys, they've unloaded a ton of money to Zeke, to Amari Cooper, and now out of all the like biggest cap hits the NFL come this next season, Dak Prescott is the biggest cap hit in the NFL, and it's just a franchise tag. It's insane. It's $31.4 million franchise tag is the biggest cap hit in the NFL. And the Ravens, uh, the Ravens could probably afford to do, but I don't know what they're going to be able to give up for it. In Jamal Adams' situation, if he gets traded to any of these teams, he could, it's going to be a rent-a-player deal. It's kind of like um, Deion Sanders with the 49ers. Went from the Falcons to the 49ers, won a Super Bowl, went to Dallas. Now, if you can pull a Deion Sanders move like that, that would be very ideal because you like, or not ideal, but it'd be very nice because you go, I won a Super Bowl. Now I'm going to Dallas. It's pretty nice. Pretty simple. But with all these teams, all of these got good quarterbacks that are going to get paid or already have been paid very, very good amounts of money. And on Colin Coward's show, again, I was watching this during lunch. He was talking about Jamal Adams. And all the teams that he listed, again, are winners, have won games. Not saying they're serial winners because if you look at like the, the Texans, they're not really winning anything. They're going to win their division because their division is the weakest in the NFL, arguably. So they're going to go to the playoffs, but are they going to win the playoffs? Uh, nah, Cowboys, same thing. But you know what? Whatever. You, you can see this trade proposal happening to the Cowboys for years. Or not for years, but you knew they were looking at a safety because they had the whole Earl Thomas situation. Now they have the Jamal Adams situation. I think the Jets, same with Colin Coward, they, that they're the ideal place for Jamal Adams. He's going to get paid. They got a quarterback on a rookie deal. And he's allowed to be free in Greg Williams' defense. In Dallas, I don't know. But I think he'd be a great pick on wherever he goes. I think he'd be a great addition to whatever team he's on. But will he go to Dallas? Because that's obviously where he wants to go. I think... 
that's the least surprising thing in the world that he wants to go to the Dallas Cowboys. He's from Texas. He wanted to, there was rumors about it happening last year and now it's circling up again this year. So will it actually happen? Uh, probably not this year. Uh, we'll have to probably wait till next year because Dak's contract or his franchise tag is a massive hit to their cap. So Jamal Adams, and I don't even know what the Cowboys would give up for Jamal Adams. So we'll have to wait and see on this because again, Amari Cooper's got a big contract. Then you got uh, Zeke with a huge contract. Dak's going to be doing a huge contract. Leighton Vander Esch going to be in a huge contract. They traded away uh, or let Byron Jones walk because they didn't want to pay him. Byron Jones signed the biggest contract in cornerback history in the NFL. So I don't know. It's going to be tough, but I think the Cowboys are easily his number one destination. Easily. I could see a player like Pete Carroll using a guy like Jamal Adams very well, but is he going to go to Seattle? I don't know. I think the Philadelphia Eagles could definitely use Jamal Adams. They got Darius Slay, so there's one piece solved a little bit, but the rest of their defense still needs a little work, especially in the secondary. 49ers, they need help in the secondary as well. Their secondary is arguably their weakest part of their defense, and that's with a second-team All-Pro Richard Sherman there. They are very slow outside, and that's what got them beat in the Super Bowl. Richard Sherman got burnt by Sammy Watkins. Tyreek Hill was burning people. McCole Hardman, like, they have no speed outside. And if they get a guy like Jamal Adams, which, again, they'd be the perfect Deion Sanders thing because he wants to go to the Dallas Cowboys, it seems like, go to the 49ers for a year, win a Super Bowl, maybe, probably not, but... Go then go to Dallas. So it may, maybe looks like it. The Ravens, they could use some help at and they don't really actually. They're pretty set on deep. They're going to be locked into a Marlon Humphrey contract soon. They just re-signed Marcus Peters. They got Earl Thomas there. Get another guy like Adams who could be that Cam Chancellor to Earl Thomas. But I don't know how realistic that is. The Texans, I don't know what they're going to be able to give up. And the Chiefs, they can't afford him. So I don't know what's going on. I think he's just going to stay in in New Jersey. I think that's just where he's going to where his future lies, for the time being at least. I don't know about years down the line, but for the time being, his future is set in New Jersey. So with that being said, let's look at the defensive back bracket as each team's best overall defensive back. So I looked at their safeties and corners and listed them on this uh, word doc appropriately. AFC North. Uh, Baltimore's Marlon Humphrey. You have the likes, as we said, Earl Thomas and Marcus Peters, but Marlon Humphrey is a lockdown corner. He is an elite corner. He is one of the best corners in the NFL, and I think Marcus Peters is up there as well, but I would put, I gave the edge to Marlon Humphrey. Cleveland, Denzel Ward, I don't think that one's very hard to understand as well, and same with Pittsburgh with Minka Fitzpatrick. You got Joe Hayden there, who we could have also thrown up there, but Minka Fitzpatrick was a first-team All-Pro this year, and basically was the real reason why the Pittsburgh Steelers defense became as elite as it was because once he came there their defense was getting turnovers like crazy it was insane and for Cincinnati I just threw in Sean Williams they don't really have any good defensive backs in Cincinnati if we're being 100% honest like if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals roster they have two former Minnesota Vikings there Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes none of them do anything William Jackson's there I guess but I went for Sean Williams. He led the team in tackles last year, um, at least if, or at least for defensive backs, if I remember correctly. 
But yeah, I just went for him. I mean, either whatever person you picked for Cincinnati was going to lose to Marlon Humphrey. So Marlon Humphrey won. And then I gave the edge to Minka Fitzpatrick for Pittsburgh. I know Denzel Ward, to his credit, is one of the best lockdown corners in the NFL. Denzel Ward is a beast. And a lot of people, including myself, when he got drafted, were confused why the Browns drafted Denzel Ward over the likes of Bradley Chubb. But the, the division they're in, they have some crazy wide receivers, especially at the time. So they needed to help guard some of those people. So you look at, like, especially in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, it, Antonio Brown was there at the time, Juju Smith-Schuster. Or did he get drafted that time? Or he, yeah, he was there. Then you had the likes of A.J. Green was there. Tyler Boyd was just starting to heat up a little bit. So you had people he needed to cover. Denzel Ward is a very, very good quarterback, cornerback. But I'm going to give the edge to Minka Fitzpatrick. And as regard to the best overall defensive back in the AFC North, it's hard because you don't want to leave out either one of these guys. They're two elite defensive backs. Last season for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Minka Fitzpatrick got nine inter- or five interceptions. He got nine pass defenses. Average, he got 130 yards on his returns and scored a touchdown. Also had a forced fumble last year. Now, if we look at Marlon Humphrey for the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, this was the hardest decision I had to make out of any other in the NFL, out of all of these ones. Marlon Humphrey had three interceptions last year. You get lockdown corners, so it's a lot harder to get these lockdown corners to get high numbers of interceptions than the likes of a safety who can just roam around the field and ball hawk like Minka Fitzpatrick did last year. He forced two fumbles and had three fumble recoveries as well. He had 65 combined tackles for the Baltimore Ravens last year as they had the best overall record in the NFL. And both players, Minka Fitzpatrick and Marlon Humphrey, were named first-team All-Pros, and they're just elite guy like Minka Fitzpatrick 57 tackles last year or no that was just in Pittsburgh he had a combined 68 tackles last year with combining with the Dolphins and the Steelers because he played two games in Miami last year which was a lower number than what he had in his first year in Miami but Minka Fitzpatrick just turned that team around pretty much I don't know he's they're both great players I'm gonna give the edge to Minka Fitzpatrick, barely. Like, that's the closest battle I had the entire time. But they they both had insane years last year. But I think if you took Minka Fitzpatrick out of the team, out of Pittsburgh, he would have – that would be a bigger loss than Marlon Humphrey. And they're both huge losses. Because Marlon Humphrey is, our, is a top five, maybe top three corner in the NFL. Minka Fitzpatrick is up there with the best safeties in the NFL – it completely revamped the Steelers' defense. Well worth the first-round pick they traded for him for. I don't know. That one's very close. AFC South, um, I don't know. This one was kind of – I had a winner. I didn't really <laughs> – there was really no one. I Kevin Byard is easily the best defensive back in this division. Um, you could throw a Dory Jackson in there as well. But still, a Tennessee Titan guy is going to win it. Whether I threw him Byard or a Dory Jackson – one of those guys was going to win. Kevin Byard, one of the best and one of the most underrated safeties in the NFL over the past few seasons. And for the rest of the team, I mean, we might as well just mention him. Bradley Roby for Houston, Kenny Moore for Indy, and I couldn't really choose one for <laughs> for Jacksonville, so I chose Jared Wilson or Gerard Wilson, whatever you want to call him. But Kevin Byard was winning that, so it's not really much to talk about here. This division was 
the most complete division in the NFL. This is the AFC East. Buffalo, Trey White, Miami, Byron Jones, New England, Stephon Gilmore, and New York, Jamal Adams. This is an insane group of defensive backs. Miami, you could have had Xavier Howard there. Buffalo, you could have had Micah Hyde or uh, Jordan Poyer. New England, Jackson, you had him there. You have Jamal Adams, it's just Jamal Adams in New York. But you still have other people. They had some good players in this division. But I went for Trey White and Stephon Gilmore, who I think are the two best defensive backs in the NFL. I think they're the two best corners in the NFL by a long shot. And they are the two best lockdown corners in the NFL. Trey White did not give up a single passing touchdown last year. It's insane. And if you look at uh, next-gen stats rate, it tight window tight percentage, which is jaw-dropping, at 28.6%, and he earned a 20.2 ball hawk rate. But, sadly, with those targets, he had targeted 84 times last year. Uh, he had six intercepts, 17 pass defenses. It's just, he's nowhere, he's going to get nowhere near those number of targets again this year. But, Stephon Gilmore, he's the best corner in the NFL. He's going to beat Trey White. I mean, it's the battle of number one and two, and number one, one. Stephon Gilmore broke up 20 passes in the NFL, racked up six interceptions, and forced 15 incompletions last year. Like, the 20 passes he broke up his first, the number of interceptions is tied with uh, Tredavious White. It's just... Like, Stephon Gilmore's named the NFL Defensive Player of the Year this last year. He's insane. And, yeah, I that dude just needs more. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say about him. He's just a very, very very good cornerback both of them are and Stephon Gilmore won in that regard Byron Jones most expensive corner in NFL history but he's not better than Trey White so Stephon Gilmore wins that one AFC West very talented safeties in here Denver Justin Simmons Kansas City Tyron Matthew uh Las Vegas then you have Ty- Trayvon Mullen young cornerback from Clemson and LA you had Derwin James I almost threw uh Casey Hayward in here Casey Hayward is the most disrespected corner not he's not really well yeah he is disrespected but he's also not talked about enough in the nfl for how good he is he is so good like in his first two seasons with the Chargers, he totaled 11 interceptions and his interception numbers have been down but he was only targeted 47 times last year we look at what trade avius white got targeted he got targeted 84 so when we see that high number of attempts gone his way we know how when you see the high number and see how low all of his other numbers are you're like wow this guy's elite but with casey award he was targeted only 47 times pretty much half of what trade avius white was given and only allowed 26 receptions on 512 coverage snaps in the nfl last year highest forced completion incomplete percentage rate from cornerbacks from 2015 to 2019 casey award is fourth point two percentage points behind Stephon Gilmore. Casey Hayward does not get talked about enough. Casey Hayward is an elite quarterback, cornerback, and top five shutdown corners in the league. I dude is locked down. He just doesn't get targeted. He's the he's suffering from Patrick Peterson syndrome, where he's so good he doesn't get targeted anymore, so everybody takes their eyes off of him. It's the same thing with Pat um, with Desmond King his last year at Iowa. He won the Jim Thorpe Award, came back his next year didn't do anything because no one threw his way and he got drafted in the fifth round 
which has worked out very well for him because drafted in the fifth round, but he has the skills to make up for it. So he got playing time right away. Casey Hayward's going through that situation right now. And it's sad because he deserves a lot of attention, but I put Derwin James down as a rookie. He made first team all pro. I mean, I could have gone with either Casey Hayward or Derwin James here and they would have beat Trayvon Mullen. It's not very hard, but I think Derwin James is a top three safety in the NFL when healthy with everything that he can do. And I had him beating Tyron Matthew in the fi- the semifinals of the AFC, just beating out Justin Simmons for Tyron Matthew. Cause Justin Simmons is very, he's not really talked about outside of Denver circles, but Tyron Matthews, just an animal. Derwin James beat him for the AFC finals. Uh, three safeties in a corner. Mega Fitzpatrick versus Kevin Byard. I gave the edge to Fitzpatrick. Uh, Stephon Gilmore versus Derwin James. Stephon Gilmore was the AFC or the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He gets the edge over Gil for over James and Fitzpatrick. He'll represent the AFC in the finals. Now the NFC was a little harder because there's not as many good defensive backs here, like top level guys like. Uh, Derwin James or Trey White or Stephon Gilmore, Jamal Adams, Byron Jones, um, Minka Fitzpatrick, Denzel Ward, uh, Marlon Humphrey, uh, Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas, like all these guys, Adore Jackson. They got all these, and, and we can even throw C.J. Henderson. I almost threw C.J. Henderson in for Jacksonville, but he hasn't played a snap yet. And Jesse Jackson for the New England Patriots, the McCourty, bro- McCourty brothers. AJ Bouye for Denver as well. So I don't know. There's just a lot of good corners and defensive backs in the AFC. NFC, there's good ones, but there are few and I don't know. Well, we'll just talk about those. Chicago for the NFC North, but Kyle Fuller. Detroit, this is where I just threw in Jeff Akuda. They don't have any. Desmond Trufant could have been thrown in there as well, but <laughs> no, I threw in Jeff Akuda already. I know it's not fair to. Uh, the other guys there, but Jeff Akuda is, he didn't give up a single penalty last year at Ohio state. That is absolutely insane. Drafted third overall dudes, a beast. He'll replace Darius Slay with ease. One would suspect, uh, green Bay, Jair Alexander, Minnesota, Harrison Smith. Uh, I put Kyle Fuller over Jeff Akuda and I don't like Jer- the match between Jair Alexander, and Harrison Smith. I did give it to Harrison Smith and I had Harrison Smith winning the NFC North beating Kyle Fuller in there. I think Harrison Smith is a very good safety. He got kind of put under, uh, got kind of surrounded by a shadow of Anthony Harris last year. But Anthony Harris, the reason I didn't put Harris here, though he was tied for the league in interceptions last year, he's had one good year, one year of where he's actually played. He's played like five years in the NFL. But not a lot of people realize that because how he blew up last year. Oh, this guy came out of nowhere. He's played five years in the league. There, Harrison Smith's done it for a more consistent period of time, a longer consistent period of time. So that's why I gave him the edge there. NFC South, uh, Keanu Neal versus J- Deontay Jackson, Dante Jackson for Carolina, and Marshawn Lattimore versus Sean Murphy Bunting of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I don't know a lot about the Buccaneers, so I didn't really know who to put as their best overall defensive back. I think he led them in interceptions last year, so I put him on there. Uh, NFC South, I think Keanu Neal is one of the better safeties in the NFL, but in the past two years, I think he's played five games. So 
that's why he's not going to get talked about a lot. But I gave him just the edge over Dante Jackson, who's one of the fastest players in the NFL. And I gave the edge to Marshawn Lattimore over Sean Murphy Bunting. Just the edge, just slightly. But uh, Marshawn Lattimore wins the NFC South. NFC East, uh, Dallas, after losing Byron Jones, it was a lot harder to figure out who was their best defensive back. But I put Jordan Lewis down as their best one. Trayvon, Trayvon Diggs could be that guy eventually, but... I went with Jordan Lewis there or Jamal Adams if he eventually goes there. Uh, James Bradbury for the New York Giants coming over from the Carolina Panthers. He was the Panthers' best defensive back last year or the past few seasons. Now he's with the Giants, who got a very solid corner, a very good corner there in New Jersey. And Philadelphia, it's Darius Slay in Washington. Though he hasn't been great since coming to Washington, uh, Landon Collins is still good safety in the NFL. He hasn't had a great past two seasons, but he's still a good safety. Uh, but in this one, I went James Bradbury over Jordan Lewis and Darius Slay over Landon Collins. And I gave the edge to Darius Slay over James Bradbury. And for the NFC West, Patrick Peterson versus Jalen Ramsey and Richard Sherman versus Shaquille Griffin. The only div- only division in the, out of this bracket that their best defensive back is a cornerback. The rest of them has a little mix of safeties and corners in there, but this one's just corners. And this one was one of the hardest. I gave the edge to Richard Sherman over Shaquille Griffin. I think Griffin's a very talented corner, but Sherman, he was just really good last year. Other than the Super Bowl, Sherman had a great season last year. Second team all pro. He's been consistent throughout his career, other than his first couple years, first year in San Fran. He's finally found his groove there. And then now the NFC West, Patrick Peterson and Jalen Ramsey this one was the toughest one out of all of them arguably because I don't like Jalen Ramsey I've never been a huge Jalen Ramsey fan other than when he got drafted I really liked him coming out of college he's just annoying he's a wannabe Deion Sanders but he's not as good as Deion Sanders the media hypes him up to be this amazing corner when he's just good he's not bad he's not as good as everybody says he is Patrick Peterson uh, doesn't get the ball thrown to him. I think Patrick Peterson, comparatively to everybody else, is a top five corner in the league, if not top three. I love Patrick Peterson. Now he's on the he's getting older, but as far as the decade goes, as far as I'm concerned, I think he's the best or second best corner throughout the 2010s. You had Richard Sherman up there as well, Darrell Revis, Akeem Talib to a certain extent as well can be up there. So I gave the edge to Patrick Peterson. But in the end, for the final round, I did go Richard Sherman over Patrick Peterson. Because the season that Richard Sherman had last year was a very good season. Nice little rebound so people kind of remembered who Richard Sherman was. Because when he first went to San Fran, he, he struggled. I think he was coming off an Achilles tear, so it kind of made sense why he struggled. But now he's back to his normal self. And then for the NFC Finals, Minnesota Harrison Smith versus Marshawn Lattimore. I went with Marshawn Lattimore with that one. And then Darius Slay versus Richard Sherman. I went Richard Sherman. And Lattimore versus Sherman. I went with Sherman. And then the matchup we've all been waiting for, Stephon Gilmore versus Richard Sherman. Stephon Gilmore is the best overall defensive back in the NFL. Stephon Gilmore is elite. Stephon Gilmore is the best cornerback in the NFL. Stephon Gilmore was named NFL Defensive Player of the Year as a corner, which doesn't happen very often, at least to my knowledge. Maybe it happens all the time, but I just don't realize it. But Stephon Gilmore's amazing. And it's sad because he was just average in Buffalo. 
I mean, it wasn't average. He was good, but he was so frustrating in Buffalo. You had him and Ronald Darby there. Ronald Darby, I think, is now in Washington. He was in Philly, but I don't know if he's there yet. I think I saw he's in Washington now. Darby just needs to stay healthy because Darby is a really good corner when healthy. Gilmore just was inconsistent in Buffalo. Now in New England, he's found that consistency is is and is the best corner in the NFL. Then I put Trey Wright right behind him. And then I put Marlon Humphrey right behind him. And then I'd put Richard Sherman right behind him. And then I'd probably throw... Uh, who would I throw up there with right at number five? Denzel Ward, maybe? Or Byron Jones? Or Marshawn Lattimore? Or Darius Slate? There's a lot of people you could throw in the top five. I, want, I don't know if I would throw Jalen Ramsey up there. I wouldn't throw Jalen Ramsey up there, but that's just me. I have a personal vendetta against Jalen Ramsey again with the Josh Allen stuff, but that's just me. But even that said, I do think he's overrated. And I think he's just a want to be Deion Sanders. That's just my opinion. I went to Florida state trash talks, but he's just not very good at trash talking because you know how many times it's bitten him in the ass that <laughs> his trash talk with his quarterback trash talk. And he ends up getting worked. Josh Allen was coming off an elbow injury. He was out for like four or five weeks. His first game back against the Jaguars, and he goes off against the Jaguars, rushing and throwing the ball. He says fun with those Florida teams. He kills Miami. Miami's his best. The team, the team Josh Allen plays the best against the Miami Dolphins. The exact opposite of Tom Brady, who's the worst team he plays against the Miami Dolphins. Best team he plays against the Buffalo Bills. But yeah, I would definitely say it would go. Gilmore, White, Humphrey, Sherman, and then I got to nail down a number five spot. Uh, Denzel Ward, probably. I might just throw down Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward is really good. Denzel Ward, according to this website, targeted 77 times, only allowed a reception 44.9% of the time, the best percentage in the NFL. He's a beast. I'm putting Denzel Ward at number five. So there's my top five. Gilmore White, Humphrey Sherman, Denzel Ward. And you can sneak in like Marshawn Lattimore, Darius Slay, um, Casey Hayward, all these guys. Byron Jones, Xavier Howard to a certain extent as well. So there's a lot of good there's a lot of good defensive backs in the NFL. And I might have not chosen the right guy for each team. It's harder to choose a defensive backs. So you're going off four positions, and they all do things differently. Like a strong safety does different things than a free safety, and they both do things differently than a cornerback. So, I mean, it's hard to judge on who's the real pound-for-pound pound best defensive back on each NFL team. But I think I got them down to a certain extent. I think I got the right guys. That's just my opinion because I made the bracket, so I got to back myself up. So, with that being said, I hope you all enjoyed this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Sorry we didn't have a show on Friday, but, you know, stuff happens like that sometimes, and we bounce back. We get better from it. Uh, there will be a video dropping soon. We're going to be filming, working on filming the video in this upcoming week. So look out for that video because it should be a very good one. At least I think it will be a very good one. I wrote the script for it on, when was it, Saturday? Friday or Saturday, I wrote the script for it. And I think it looks good from what the script is. I mean, it's not really a script. It's just plans I want to do for it. But yeah, so look out for that video. Also look out for more Logan Blackman Show stuff. Uh, go follow the social media accounts at the underscore LB underscore show. That's the show's Twitter account at Logan underscore Blackman's my personal Twitter account. 
Search Logan Blackman Show on Twitter, on Instagram. Should pop up. Same with Logan Blackman. I don't remember my username for Instagram, though. And then go like the Facebook page. I think we're at 111 likes, 112 likes, maybe. We might have gotten one this past weekend, but I don't remember. I think it's 112. I think it's 112. So, yeah, go like that. We're trying to get to 150 likes. I don't know how realistic that is here soon, but you know what? We'll just keep broadcasting it, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I will see you all on Wednesday. Peace.